declare bankruptcy! Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression? Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Dwight, you ignorant slut! Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment, as a child, when we realized that the world could be conquered. Welcome to Great Scott, The Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my on-again, off-again deskmate, Jacob. Hey guys, we're back. We're actually together today. Yay! Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's been it's been like a month or more. Or yeah, but well, take yeah, six weeks, I think. Because I wasn't here in January, then you weren't here. Yeah, it's been since the first of, I think the first of January is the last time we were actually all together. Yep. We did it. (laughs) We made it. And here we are, once again, doing the things. Um, So we are a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, so visit BrokenJars.xyz for all of our other amazing shows, including, we're going to do some, uh, some network love here. Um, but we got the um, high fantasy, which I am a uh, part of. Yeah, you want what? What? Give it. A, give a little one sentence. Uh, what you call it? Uh, high fantasy is a writing podcast for fantasy and sci-fi writers, mostly. Um, yeah, that's about it. Okay. <laughs> we talk about writing and weird things in writing. Uh, we also got the Dresden Files podcast, um, where most of those people frequent um, the Dresden Files subreddit on Reddit. Um, have you been part of that show at all, Jacob? I have in the past. Um, yeah. You know, I've been on a couple episodes, but it's not something I do as often, that often. Like, it's, I love, I like the Dresden Files a lot, but I don't like it enough to really, like, dedicate the time to it. That's fair. <laughs> well, the, the folks over there are very much dedicated to the Dresden Files. So if uh, you like The Office and you like Dresden Files and or you like writing, those are some uh, pretty nifty podcasts for you to go check out. Um, and we got some big news this week. Um, Broken Jars Broadcasting Network uh, has started a Patreon. So visit patreon.com slash broken jars and um, you could uh, be a, a Patreon of our fancy little network here. And give us money and then talk to us. We, we only have two two tiers, $1 and $2 a month, so it's not like we're asking for a lot. That's right. You know, mostly it's just to... Uh, Keep us afloat. You know, we all love doing these shows and such, but uh, helping us out on Patreon just gives us an opportunity to kind of uh, do this on even footing financially. You know, we, you know, hopefully you'll help us pay for some server costs and pay for some little equipment upgrades here and there, that whole thing. But, uh, you know, it's helpful to us. And if you like it, you know, it's, it's a way for you guys to show your love, which I think is fair. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, so with all that out of the way, we got some, we got some office to talk about. Yes, we do. We are starting with season four, episode five, local ad. Uh, it was written by BJ Novak and directed by Jason Rittman. Um, we've seen Jason Rittman a couple of times. That was the first time we've seen him. Uh, he also does frame Toby. Um, yeah, and you may know Jason Rittman for directing Thank You for Smoking and Juno. So. Oh, there you go. That's, um, Thank Jacob You for Smoking really is week. much better than Juno, in my opinion. <laughs> well, how dare you not be interested in a the pregnancy of a high school girl as adorable as Ellen Page? 
as weird as that sounds. You know what? I redact it. Just redact it. But Jacob pointed out that we got some uh, we got some big big folks in the in the big seats this week. We got the BJ Novak. We got Jason Rittman. We got some Mindy Kaling and Joss Whedon. We got some Steve Carell and Paul Feig. And then the well, the deposition. I don't know these people, <laughs> so forget it. <laughs> but anyway, so this episode opens up where Michael is. He's trying to get all these ideas for this commercial, right? Mm-hmm. But so apparently they're they're going to do an ad in local markets to try and boost sales, which you know probably a good idea, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And you know, Andy was like, you know, it's the best ad ever. Give me a break. Which is obviously the Kit Kat song, but he can't remember what it is. It's it, no, he does. It's Fancy Feast. Yes, by the end of the episode, it's actually sort of a long running. Like every time we see Andy, or almost every time we see Andy, he's trying to remember what this ad is, and so it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely. It's nice that Andy is here and back, and um, Jim can kind of spread out his his mischievous ways across Dwight and Andy because they both are gullible in different ways. You know, this is something that Dwight wouldn't really care about. So right. need Andy to kind of have that interest in like the pop culture stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to come up with these ideas for the, sh- uh, the ad because they corporate is sending down some ad guys, uh, these folks who do the production and they'll, they'll shoot the whole thing. So Michael's got some pretty big ideas. Uh, but before he jumps into that, he takes everybody around the office to kind of meet the team of what they'll be working with. Right. Yes. With Stanley, who is, you know, in charge of the urban vibe, <laughs> despite growing up in a small town. <laughs> um, it's so funny that he never like he never gives up the Stanley is black, therefore he is this way. Even right. though Stanley is not like never ever comes across that way ever. Yeah. Um I you know, uh just to jump back to last uh, last episode, I was listening to it and I was like, Wow, within the first ten minutes, Jacob has director Alex call michael autistic <laughs> and i like, didn't have her do that she did that on her own <laughs> well i mean so since then since i've been watching the office since i listened to that episode now i can't not watch a michael episode like looking at it from that perspective of, like <laughs> him just not quite making those connections or whatever um yeah so you've ruined it basically that's what i'm saying i'm sorry it's okay <laughs> it's all her fault it's not my fault it's, it's true um then we got phyllis who is a uh, like a uh, less urban Aunt Jemima, Miss Buttersworth. That's it, Miss Buttersworth. <laughs> yes, it's actually interesting because this is a longer cold open. I mean, it's it's a pr- it's all connected to the yeah yeah. Oh, and it's also I mean, long before the first commercial break. Some of those cold opens are real short, but this feels like right. it's like three four minutes before the first commercial break. Yeah, no, that's true too. Um, and I also like that he doesn't have like a thing for everybody. Like he goes to the accountants and they're just different sizes. That's all he's got. Yeah, they're like do a mama, papa bear, mama yeah, bear, baby, yeah. bear. and they're all looking like who's the mama bear? Right. Well, I think um, Kevin says Oscar is the mama bear, right? I think that's what he says. Right. Can we also um, learn that like Pam's taking other art classes? Yeah, which, probably local, right? We would assume, but I mean, computer animation. You know, that's. I mean, her her little. 
the animation thing in the in the final up in the final ad is pretty good. You know, it's interesting because like later on, I don't know if it's this season or not, but um, when they go to the job fair, I think it is this season. It is this season, and um, he uh, she starts talking to. Uh, that guy who become I mean, I guess it's the same actor. We're not supposed to assume it's the same character, but the dude who becomes the IT guy later on in the series, Nick, mm-hmm. um, he lists a bunch of those programs or whatever. She says she's not familiar, but I mean, what the heck is she animating on? You feel like she's got to be animating on something that isn't like rinky dink. Right. I mean, you kind of got to figure it's like maybe like Photoshop. Cause you could do that in Photoshop. Mm. Right, it's just a little more tedious or whatever. Right? Very tedious, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, this is definitely one of those like sort of retcon things where like, like it feels like Pam is here, and then like she's farther down the road, and then they pull her back to make her fail mm. art school. It's mm. kind of what it feels like. Yeah, that's fair. Well, but granted, she does say that you know they switch from Dreamweaver, which. Well, yeah, they switch from Gene Reaver to Quark, which I don't know what Quark is. Uh, it's another like WYSIWYG kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I know Dreamweaver is Adobe, but I don't, I've never used or heard of Quark. So, and that's why like she failed because they switched and she couldn't, you know, transition fast enough. Right. Well, so. Okay, so we've we've jumped ahead, but um, but right, we do find out that Pam's been taking some art classes in that uh, in that cold open, so that she can offer some of her artistic skills here. Right. Um, and after we meet everybody in the office, from the perspective of the ad folks, we go into Michael's office and we get his grand vision, this Inception-like setup, <laughs> where we are in a place. That is a small version of a bigger place. Um, of course, like the best is, isn't it like, I think one of the last ones he says is a playground in the world's largest prison. prison. Or something. And, and he's like, and then it zooms out again and they stop and like, look, let me, let's show you what we did with Nashua, which is terrible. I mean, the ad is just awful. I don't know why, like, I don't know how much they paid for this, but they paid too much. Whatever it was, it was too much. Well, let me say, I do have some advertising know-how with my career, whatever that may be. Uh, but I will say, they're probably doing it the cheaper way in having these, they, like they shot the, the corporate part of that ad, right? Which is like the first 25 seconds. Uh, and that's a one-time cost. And then they probably hire these local ad folks to go to those branches to minimize travel time to shoot that last five second whatever the heck right the waving or the sitting or whatever um and it's a pretty safe ad but i think purposefully in terms of like breaking the fourth wall they probably made that ad seem so kind of like plain white paper so that we really felt that michael's ad was special when we see it at the end you know yeah i could see that um because it's not terrible but it's like a super safe ad you know it's like the kind of ad you'd watch in between segments of like Good Morning America or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I'm so out of touch with commercials because all I do is stream now. Stream, right? Like yeah. I haven't I haven't really seen a commercial. Like the last commercials I saw were during the Super Bowl, because I actually watched that live, you know? Right, right. <laughs> uh, and then sort of a, a sort of a running gag throughout this episode is Dwight's second life. 
Mm-hmm. And like there was a while in there, you know, early 2000s where everyone thought that Second Life was going to be the thing. Right. You know, because I remember, remember stuff like IBM was like buying like islands and stuff so they could have like corporate meetups and Second yeah. Life. And it was a big deal. And then it kind of went poof. <laughs> well, it was, it was, uh, I mean, it wasn't an expression that was around at the time, but it was a free to play basically, right? Right. And it had microtransactions within, I think, because like you said, there were other companies that kind of had space in it or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of those things that hit uh, at like the right time where technology was becoming super accessible to people and this concept of like, this is your avatar in this digital world kind of hit with people. What's funny is that now in 2007, because I don't think Second Life was as big in 2007, um, Dutch White is still playing it <laughs> and like a lot. I don't know. He seems like a wow guy to me. Like it seems like he would have like totally gotten lost in wow. Um, I, I, I can't, my brother's been watching the office and my girlfriend's watching the office and then I'm watching the office. So depending on where I'm at in any given day, I'm catching the office in different moments. And coincidentally enough, I just watched a Halloween episode where Robert California brings his son He's, yeah, Dwight's playing Star. They're playing StarCraft. That's together. right. And Dwight's playing StarCraft. Yeah. So you're right. I don't think uh, World of Warcraft is totally out of his um, depth. But we've talked about this too. That um, Dwight's hobbies are kind of all over the place. Yes. He farms. He likes old rock and roll and vintage cars. But then he also plays video games and laser tag. It's like, how does the guy find enough time in the day? Not to mention all of the uh, all of the Angela. That's happening. Well, and he's also, you know, into martial arts and karate. Right. And, and he takes classes actively, right? Right. Yeah. yeah so uh, it's hard It's hard to peg Dwight down. Oh, he's good at uh, ping pong ball. Yes, we learned that in, the, in this oh, section. Boy. I think I lost you. Oh, mic check. One, two. Here we go. Did oh. I lose you? Oh, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. 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 <laughs> Oopsie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We learn he's good at ping pong in this such a uh, stretch of episodes. It's also a good stretch because we're ending right before dinner party, which yeah. is where the really big hiatus was in the the airing of the episode. So right. her last episode today aired on November tenth and or fifteenth, and our next episode will start on April, you know April tenth, two thousand eight. So there's like a six month gap there, five six month gap mm. between episodes. So that'll be good. Yeah. And then um, another yeah. another sort of I mean there's there's lots of little plots. I mean the major plot is obviously the commercial, but right. So we also have Andy. He's trying to get to a new physical level with Angela. Yes. And lots of necking. Lots of necking. And and Andy's, or Dwight's like, I can't do this. And I actually feel kind of bad for Dwight here. I'm just like, oh, poor Dwight. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's like double worse, right? Because it's almost like weird inverse friend zoning. Right. Uh, because it's not like he's talking to Angela, who he likes, who he's being a friend to. But he's being a friend to the person who's trying to take the person he likes. It's like this really weird thing where there's not even a direct way for him to benefit in any way, you know? Right. Unless he wants to date Andy at the end of the day. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, it, yeah, it's a, it's a very odd uh, situation that uh, he's in. Um, but we do have this great moment where... Andy eventually does make some type of progress in the 
intimacy department with Angela. And um, Angela subconsciously, presumably, nicknames Andy D in that heat of the moment, which Andy being the idiot that he is doesn't realize that's probably what Angela called Dwight, right? Well, I mean, at this point, I mean, at this point, he probably doesn't know that her and Dwight were ever a thing, right? Because they kept that well, pretty that's secret. Correct. That's a good point. Yeah. And that, that's why you never use names when you're dating around. You always yeah. use nicknames. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible dating uh, advice from Jacob. But <laughs> yeah. Write it down. The blog will be launching late 2017. And so one um, thing I do like about this episode is, so Michael calls up corporate and he's all like, look, Ryan's being a little bitch to David Walls, which is hilarious. Right. But he, he's like, look, if this doesn't work out, I'll pay for it myself. Like, I really like that Michael was so invested that he believed he could do it better. Mm-hmm. You know, he had the courage of his convictions, and I like that in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of instances where they make Michael's weird artistic stuff kind of... It, it conflicts with his actual personality on a day-to-day, you know? But, like, for the ad, because it's a company ad, plus it's Michael being, like, the creative type that he is, I feel like it finds a good balance. Mm-hmm. And we get a better perspective of what his vision is, because then you go to, like, Threat Level Midnight, which is, like, it's funny still, because we like Michael at that point, but there's a little less, um, I think, sincerity in that piece of work. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, he, he loves Dunder Mifflin, right? He yeah. just loves, yeah. loves Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. So, okay, so this is another question I have, which you may be able to give me the answer to because okay. I didn't bother to look it up. But who the hell is Sue Grafton? She's a, uh, she's like a crime author. She does um, things like, uh, M- I think she does like M is for murder. Oh, is she the alphabet author? Like she's A the, is yeah. for something? A is for alibi, yeah. Okay. So and we and we learn that Angela does not like the mystery genre. She does not like to be titillated. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> um, also, Sue Grafton, in 2007, I would say, my opinion, not hot. <laughs> Angelo, not an acceptable substitute for Sue Grafton. Personal opinion, please let me know if you disagree. But I just, <laughs> what it is, it's funny though. I've never, like, like as many times as I've seen this um this episode i've never actually looked her up so i'm doing that now yeah yeah well so while you're doing that so phyllis uh is enlisted to go get a celebrity signing at the steamtown mall so she goes to get her to be in the commercial um as she's in line for the signature she asks politely sue grafton says no phyllis persists and is eventually escorted out of the bookstore in front of all of her friends right um, she's in tears, shadowy eye makeup, very upset. Michael's not having any of it. Um, did you, did you see Sue Grafton? What do you think? Uh, I mean, she's not unattractive, but she's definitely, you know, getting older. She's no Angela Martin. No, no. Uh. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I know we talked uh, about before, but like Angela, like if you see her, like our Instagram, she's like jacked, like six pack and all sorts of stuff. I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, well, this is 
this could become a whole other thing that I'll be sure not to get into it. Uh, but <laughs> I think being a, uh, a, a woman celebrity who has had kids, you can go like two ways. You could just be a regular person, which is totally respectable, but I feel like there's a lot of pressure to kind of maintain like your, especially her because she's so small, you know? Right. Yeah. So yeah. And then why stop at all if you can just achieve some type of crazy muscle mass. Right. So, right. And well, it's something I also talked about, like, cause I've started a, a fitness blog on the broken jars thing. It's like these people are millionaires. They have personal chefs, they have trainers, you know, they, they have optimal conditions to be f- super fit, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I, um, you just, you started watching parks and rec, right? Yeah. I know. I think like, I, I kid you not. Like, I finished my first watch through in like October uh-huh. and I think I'm already on my, my fourth or fifth watch. Like it's just well, been something we've been watching a lot. I mean, it's a good, it's a good show. If, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once the office is done, maybe we'll do a parks and rec one who knows, but, uh, uh, what do you call it? I mean, it's very in line with the office and I think it, uh, has that benefit of like having the office do all that awkward stuff in the first season or so. So that parks and rec could kind of jump into that style of show sooner. Right. So their awkwardness is just trying to figure out who those characters are. Mm-hmm. But my point would be, uh, Chris Pratt. Right. Um, Chris Pratt is a, you know, not a, not a fat dude, but just a little unhealthy. He's got some beer gutness going on, um, whatever. But when he becomes star Lord, you know, sure, with a lot of determination and time, a regular individual could achieve Chris Pratt status, but he's a celebrity and he's got people giving him nutrition plans and uh, the workout regime. And that's not to give myself an excuse for being the well, honestly, yeah, I, I would dis like I would disagree with what you're saying to get to that level, like the Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, Chris Hemworth, you know, the Chris level of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need three two to three maybe four hours a day optimal diet i mean most normal people will never be able to hit that level you can get in good shape but you know to be you know captain america that that, i mean that's a whole other that's a whole other stretch no well yeah i think we're saying the same thing because you're right i mean i think most people could no, rather, most people have the physical resources to do it, but not everybody would have the actual drive to get there. Right. I mean, it, I think anyone with those conditions could be Thor. But, right. Yeah. Well, technically not, because you'd have to be born in Asgard, but that's fine. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, so we've got Phyllis, who's kicked out. Uh, mm-hmm. We got Daryl trying to write a song for the... Uh, Yes. The commercial, which ultimately doesn't end up in Michael's commercial, just which is a bummer because it was a good song. And yeah, both I don't know. It seems a little racist, say, you know, talking about Indian Kelly, but yeah, I, I, every time I listen to it, because you know, like you watch it and then maybe you wait a couple weeks and you come back and you do another rewatch. And every time I hit it, I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> I just say, why is she singing along? <coughs> It's also great too. The two times we go to see Daryl and his crew singing that song, like not everybody is always knows the words, right? Like there's a couple of bits where like Creed is like way off and, and air guitaring, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's the same way. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Michael exclaims that he hates it after admonishing Daryl for not knowing what hip hop is or rap, rather, right. So this question is for you, Jacob. Mm-hmm. Does Daryl really not know what rap is? Oh no, you know he's messing with him. Give me this goes back to like teaching him, teaching Mike, you know, black people <laughs> phrases like dig and flicker and fleece it out and go and Mach five. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Well, part of me was wondering if he really doesn't know rap because like, what if they're like being like, no, like Daryl only knows good music. Like he doesn't know like rap, but I think you're probably right. Well, I mean, he might not be like an aficionado or whatever, but I mean, I'm about as wise as I get, and I, and I know what rap is a little bit. You know, right. you know that Wu-Tang Clan is not a group of people that you should be messing with. Right. You know, I may not know, like, all the Izzy's, like Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec, but I do know about Eminem and Dre and, you know, <laughs> those guys. <laughs> okay, um, we flash back to Second Life, where Jim is creating an avatar who's following Dwight around. Yeah. So my first my first question is one because we see like Dwight playing Second Life a few times this episode. How much free time does he have during the day to play Second Life? And two, how much free time does time does Jim have to follow Dwight around, pranking him in the virtual world? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like I've so I've never been a salesperson, but I feel like there's a lot of downtime for a salesperson. You can't spend every minute calling people. You know, there's some follow-up and there's some downtime and waiting and research or whatever. And I feel like, um, you know, if Dwight feels good, he's made some good sales or whatever. Maybe he's done what he needed to do for the day early on. Um, you know, then he's got hours. <laughs> Three, four, five, six, seven hours. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of get that because, I mean, I definitely, my job definitely goes in spurts. Right. Where I'm, you know, really busy or really not busy. Right. Um, okay, so let me bring this up about Second Life. It's mm-hmm. so again because I'm watching all over the spectrum of the office lately. I was recently, I had this realization, I guess that what I, I don't think I would have necessarily had, but I just watched the episode where Pam. Spoiler alert, obviously. Mm-hmm. Great Scott podcast. Welcome to it. Um, where Pam is supposed to record on her cell phone CeCe's recital. Right. Jim is supposed to go, couldn't make it because of this meeting or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're listening to the show and haven't gotten that far in the show, essentially Jim is working in Philadelphia for this other company, like part-time kind of thing. Um, it ends very sadly. Uh-huh. Jim's upset. Pam is crying. We're introduced to Brian, the sound guy, who Lord knows I dislike Brian, the sound guy, but we'll get there. Um, and then in local ad, when Jim is showing Pam Second Life, she's like, who is this? And they express, you know, the humor that is Jim's avatar. Philly Jim. Yep. That's right. And she goes, oh, I want to see more Philly Jim. And in my head, I was like, Pam, no, you don't. I had Philly the exact Jim, same thought when I watched that, you know, like yeah. I was like, ah. Uh. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, you know, the, they they put this relationship through some uh, some hoops later on to you know to show that they are a strong couple or whatever. But uh, it's not fun to watch. And then hearing her say, "I want to see more Philly Jim," I was like, "Poor sweet Pam." I felt like Adam Sandler holding that chubby kid's face. You know, it's like cherish it that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So we get done with the ad and we jump ten days into the future. Which is also like a first of the show. Yeah, the, the so many days later. Um, yeah, so we're at Poor Richards where we mm-hmm. see the airing of the corporate commercial. It's mostly what we've seen and they're waving. It looks like they're on the roof of the building, right? Right. But they don't explain how they get like a, a camera crane up there or if they hired a helicopter or whatever, but whatever. They're waving on top of the building. Uh, Jim somehow gets a DVD copy of Michael's commercial, which is not totally clear to me. 
I mean, maybe he edited it at work. So Jim probably just got onto Michael's computer to fix it, right? Right. Um, they play it. And it's a good commercial. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from obviously the technical issues that would one would run into trying to edit a video in your paper selling office. Um, it's good. No Daryl song. Um, Pam isn't in the commercial, but her art is featured at the end. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of some other odd stuff. I don't think we see. Do we? We do see Daryl. I think. Uh, no, no, we see Stanley. He's see Stanley. He's picking yeah. up the. I mean, it was a good ad. I liked it. Um, you know, I thought it went well. Like, yeah, it, yeah. It was moving. It was touching. It seemed like more like a trailer than a commercial. Right. You know, that's kind of what it felt like to me. Yeah. I mean, it's a good commercial if you know Dunder Myth. Right. Right. I, I think uh, to Jim's point earlier in the episode where no one knows what the heck they sell, I think that commercial would still be confusing. Because mm-hmm. you're seeing someone run a marathon and you're seeing an adopted Dwight and you're seeing a convict picking up garbage on the side of the road. Right. Right. Yeah. Not super clear. All right. So what do you get? What are you going to give this episode? Well, after much thought, I think I'm going to end up giving it a 3.7 out of 5 Fancy Feasts. God, son of a bitch. <laughs> Sorry. I gave it 3 out of 5 Fancy Feasts. <laughs> okay. okay. A lot of cat food going around here. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a solid one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, most of these episodes in the stretch are just, they're good. They're not great, they're good. They're just, I mean, because we've kind of got come from some like really big stuff like fun run and launch party and money. Now we're just kind of getting back into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and similarly to a lot of these episodes don't really affect the uh, plot of the Dunder Mifflin Scranton branch overall. You know, right. Like right. The story of their mm-hmm. inhabitants. So, well, that was local ad. And then okay. we jump into and up next uh, we have Branch Wars. Um, written by Mindy Kaling, directed by Joss Whedon. Um, yeah. I, I honestly didn't realize he did multiple episodes. I thought he only did the, uh, oh, the bat, right? The one with the bat. It's also interesting. Are these the only two he's done or does he do more? Uh, according to the wiki for the office, he only did business school and branch wars. Yeah. But Grant, this was during the writer strike. So he might've just been looking for work. That's fair. Like he well, might have been I mean, bored and just like, hey. Well, I imagine it takes a little while to plan some of these things out, though. Yeah, that's probably true. Just a thought. Yeah. Um, so the cold open for this episode is... Oh, so basically, it's not much of a cold open. It's part of the whole episode. But Karen gets a mysterious phone call from someone from Scranton. Right. Uh, who is looking to join the Utica team. Um, and she also says something about how when your boyfriend is not in love with another person and the your boss is not an incompetent person, this job is pretty easy. Right. And so I, I guess well, we don't know exactly when she gets this job because she just kind of leaves in between right. season three and season four. So we kind of assume this is where she went. Yeah, you figure maybe she did well in her interview, and when David Wallace decides to go this other direction that he's talking about, maybe there was some restructuring involved in, like, um, you know, I don't know. Because I guess presumably we have to assume maybe that the previous manager of Utica was, like, let go or they left or something. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and we also have the Michael's trying to create a Ferris Bueller type dummy for sneaking out of the office for some some reason that I have no idea why he would want to sneak out of the office, but he is. <laughs> um, just as a side note, unre- kind of unrelated, but um, according to the wiki, it has a list of the staff of the Utica branch. Okay. So, so let me just read down because this is obviously based on the names that we were given as we watched the show. So we have Karen Filippelli, regional manager, Rolando, receptionist, Ben Nugent, sales representative, Mark, a.k.a. Baldy. <laughs> then we've got Shirty, Mole, Lazy Eye, Mexico, Sugar Boobs, Black Woman. <laughs> and then there's a link here that says background employees. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I guess we get all those from the uh, lecture when circuit. Doing his tour. Yeah, it's great. For as much as everyone seems to hate Michael, he gets to do all the stuff, you know, get, like he does end up being like the best manager in the entire company. It's true. Even yeah. though no one can stand him. Yeah. Yep. It's really weird. Um, I don't even know if they, they don't really ever explain why he's a good manager either. It's always kind of part of the joke is that he does something good. Someone asks, well, how did you do that? And then he gives a nonsense answer. It doesn't really explain it, you know? Well, you know, it's kind of like his book, Somehow I Manage. And it'll be me Somehow. shrugging on the, the cover of the of, of That's it. right. <laughs> um, so with the Ferris Bueller's day off type of prank, we find out that Stanley is the individual who is on the other line of that phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, he's leaving because he wants more money. <laughs> who doesn't, right? Yeah, that's right. Um. In a parallel storyline, we have the Finer Things Club. <laughs> that some some people, some people, don't want Jim to be a part of because they would think he would mo- monopolize the conversation by trying to be funny. That's right. Oscar, some people. <laughs> <laughs> um, two very different storylines here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so on the Branch Wars side... We have, um, well, first Michael tries to reason with Karen. Um, it doesn't work. Apparently, Stanley is actually the one who approached her. Right. So it's not even her own doing. Um, he does get in contact with their best salesperson, who is Ben Nugent. Um, but unfortunately for Michael, Ben has heard all about the exploits of Scranton. And my, Michael's a genie in a bottle. Grant him three wishes to move to Scranton, right. to make more money, and to be his best friend. Yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> anybody's three wishes, honestly. <laughs> uh, ben found out that pretty much everybody at Stanford quit. Mm-hmm. Found out that um, it's worse than Camden. And uh, there's one other piece of information that he reveals, but um, ultimately, <laughs> I don't know, but Michael does a great thing where he doesn't spin it quite right. Or like the last thing's like, didn't everybody quit? He's like, no, I fired them and you're next. <laughs> and he still tries the pitch of trying to get him. Yeah, I mean, Michael stuff. gets so defensive and crazy when like he, uh, like when someone insults Scranton. Like, yeah. like he's so defensive about Scranton. <laughs> right, it's true. It's terrible. Um, so their um, their solution, Michael and Dwight's solution, is to go on a quote unquote panty raid to Utica. Right. It, and they secret. I don't know why they secretly enlist Jim. Like, if he's not on board, why would they like trick him into going? I don't know what the benefit would have been. 
he ultimately wasn't even going to go into the building at all. You you know there was something in Michael's reasoning about like he needs to be there because Karen is there. Right. Like you know there was some kind of like twisted Michael reason there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so he basically gets kidnapped, and this is like a little, little uh, I guess goof or whatever. But I noticed when Jim says, and there goes the exit or whatever like mm-hmm. there's nothing there it's still more hill of whatever they're driving by right so there's no ramp or anything but i mean obviously they probably shot that scene like a dozen times so would it would have been a pain in the butt to line it up perfectly with an actual <laughs> exit uh, yeah yeah but i did like that uh like so yeah they, they tell him what's going on they throw his phone out of the car that's right which this is proof that old phones were better because like we all had those old like razors and stuff that could like withstand nuclear war you know with nuclear war and still work yeah yeah but like jim is like ready to call the cab and like it's gonna be the greatest prank ever and jim's like wait what like he cannot help himself right <laughs> For whatever reason, he just can't do it. Like we, we see this. Like Jim is a prankaholic. Like yep. he's like, like he just can't help himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is a there's like a weird Robin Hood sense to his prankness, though, because he doesn't just do it. You know, he does it against the people he feels are <laughs> oppressive. You know, yeah, it's, it's why Dwight gets it and why Andy gets it. Um, <laughs> but so I guess this unannounced attack on Karen to Jim is a it's not acceptable. She hasn't done enough wrong for him to do it. Uh, fortunately, they clue him in on their plan in more detail and he finds out that there are actual Molotov cocktails in the trunk. <laughs> Makes smoke bombs or real bombs. <laughs> <laughs> and I like how the, the reasoning is like, it'll be badass. Uh, <laughs> and Steve's like, Steve, uh, Steve, good old Steve Crow. Uh, Michael's all like, it would be, it would be. It would uh, be, but, yeah. <laughs> fortunately, Jim talks him out of it. Um, they get these fancy warehouse outfits. Uh, Jim is wearing Madges. Madges. Yeah. <laughs> yep. you, uh, listeners may know her as Pudge. Pudge, yep. Yeah. Um, and fake mustaches, which is great. Yep. I think my favorite bit in the car on the way there is when Dwight is peeing in the can, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is that noise? Is that the air conditioner leak? Like, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> and, like, he swerves and like, oh, I cut myself. <laughs> He's like, I cut my penis on the lid. <laughs> and he goes, hey, hey, you're making me spray. Like, it's a totally normal thing to pee in a can in the backseat of a car. <laughs> it's so good. Um, so, okay, well, let, let's switch gears here, I guess, because before Michael leaves, he walks in on finer things being set up. Right. Um, and he he gives them the business. He's like, we need rock and roll, Pam. This is why people are, you know, taking our people. And there's this great bit where Toby comes in, and it's just this awkward stare off between the two of them. And Michael goes, this is why people are leaving. Um, there's a really great blooper where uh paul feig says it's just a bow tie but like he says it's so quietly <laughs> that um it totally throws everybody in the room off so, <laughs> yeah but if you if you haven't watched the bloopers for this season totally do it but uh i can't help but think about that every time that scene happens i'm still laughing at a bit that never even made it in <laughs> um, 
it's it's good stuff. Uh, so eventually, these Friday things starts going. So and, what, um, what's the first novel they're reading? Do you know? Oh, uh, when they do the um, like the, the flashbacks of all the other Friday things meetings, or what they're reading in this episode? What they're reading in this episode. <sighs> Man, it's something because Andy has it too. Uh, let's see, cultural reference. It is no. Yeah, what the heck is it? I will find it. Uh, but it's yeah, it's right because yeah, it, it, I can't figure out. Like, if I guess my question would have been, does the cuisine match up with the novel? Right, right. And this, you know, besides having sex with men, this is the gayest thing that Oscar does. Um. There was a, uh, I don't know why I was watching it. It's probably, I shouldn't have watched it, but there was some video that was like 50 facts about the office. You didn't know. <laughs> and one of them, and there was no source of course or anything, but it said Oscar became gay by accident because one day wardrobe made the actor wear a pink shirt. And then that just like got the ball rolling for him to be gay at some point. I've, I've seen that in a few different uh, areas. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it's a thing, but it just sounds really random. Um, and, there, and you and I have talked about there seems to be enough like little jokes early on that um, could mean that maybe they had planned it further out. But I guess if it's been a couple places, unless they're all citing the same place. Right. And we also learn from Dwight that the eyes are the groin of the of the head. That is correct. So if, you, if you're doing something, go for the eyes. Um, so books they read include A Room with a View by E.M. Forrester, Memoirs of a Geisha, by Arthur Golden, and obviously Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt. Um, I feel like that's... Oh, here we go. During preparation, they're reading The Four Seasons by Vivaldi. Oh, no, they're listening to Four Seasons by Vivaldi. Right. What are they reading this time, though? Because I feel like those are the... It would have been The Room with the View, I think, would be the uh, the one... The, so? the, 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 the green, the the green, green cover covered book. book, yes. Huh, okay, okay. Um, Andy really wants to be into the club. It's the most exclusive one, so that's where he needs to be, obviously. And he is not admitted into the club. Um, okay, so that's that. We're back in Utica now, Jacob. Right, yes. And uh, um, so with their fake mustaches, Jim is able to stay inside of the car um, while Dwight and Michael go into... What were they going to do? It was something really small, their original plan. I think they were just going to like silly string and crap, you know, like sort of mess up the place just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I forget. It was something small. He's like, all right, come on back. And then they changed their plan, though, and they end up taking their industrial printer slash copier. And shove it down the stairs, I yeah. guess. Like, were they like... <laughs> Like, were they planning on taking it down the stairs? It has wheels, Jacob. It does have wheels, but still. Um, eventually, they get pinned by the copier in the stairway. Um, Dwight, rightfully so, I think, in this situation, is saying to leave us, which is accurate. But Michael, being selfish, is like, no, Jim, save us. In <laughs> uh, this uh, really great exchange where he's trying to convince Jim to bang Karen again. Just to distract her, as if Karen is the only person who have walked down that stairwell would be upset. Right. Not like the entire office of people who just <laughs> lost their copy. Uh, um, but then the camera person, which is a nice little fun thing, uh, is seen by Karen peeking through the car window, which is what causes her to walk over. Right. And I do like, like, it's one of the few 
few times where like the camera people are really like an extra like they're, they're, they're they are an actual character you know right right and, and it's 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 a nice little nod to that yes these are actually like there and are doing things kind of kind of thing that's right yeah um so they all end up in karen's office as if they're in the principal's office um and yeah she tries to give them a stern talking to but Dwight's not having any of it. He says, you can expect these types of actions if you keep trying to poach our people. And we will burn you to the ground. And then Michael chimes in and is like, no, we're not going to do that. But if you hurt Stanley, we're going to burn Utica to the ground. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So they are eventually asked to leave, but Jim stays behind. And there's just this super awkward conversation. And it's another thing where I'm a fan when Jim is like against the ropes, you know, right. This is Jim no longer in charge of this joke. It's gotten way out of hand and he has no say in the matter, but, um, it's great. Karen really gives him the business. I think and Dwight, Jim just kind of like, Jim oh, I'm sorry. I, he just kind of leaves. <laughs> like right, he right. doesn't do, like he doesn't say anything. He doesn't really do anything. He's like, yep, I'm leaving. Bye. <laughs> yeah. It's, he doesn't even finish a sentence, right? Right. He's just like, yeah, he's just like, peace out. And, he yeah. <laughs> and they go and that's it. They have a pretty uneventful drive home. Yeah. Well, when they get back and Michael's like, gives Stanley the box. It's like, all right, Stanley, you're free to go. And it turns out that he was bluffing the entire time. It's like, well, maybe Michael is some kind of secret genius. He starts laughing like, oh, I say the craziest things. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, and that is the, about the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so Jacob, since I keep stealing your stuff, what uh, what do you think? What would you give this uh, episode? This is, again, a good, not great. It's, a, it's another three out of five. Uh, groins of the face. <laughs> Yeah, I too uh, gave it a three out of five Molotov cocktails <laughs> because I don't think there's going to be a lot. Well, I mean, more instances than you would assume to use weapons as the label for our point system. But, um, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good opportunity, this one. All right. So we're going into episode season four, episode seven, Survivor Man, which was written by Steve Carell himself and directed by Paul Feig. Uh, this is a good one. Um, it opens up with Toby talking about how he went on this wilderness retreat with a bunch of branch managers, Ryan and himself and not Michael. Right. And Michael is super pissed that Ryan took Toby and not him. I mean, it's pretty much the catalyst for the entire episode. Right. Um, yeah. And there's like no break. Cause we, we saw Toby in just this episode. So obviously this, uh, uh, this retreat takes place in between branch wars and uh, survivor man. Right. Um, but he's all, he's all tanned and he's got some, some facial hair and stuff to show how rugged they were. <laughs> uh, Toby drops the hilarious line. No more s'mores, no more s'mores. But everybody in the office just thinks it's so funny. Except for Michael. <laughs> Except for Michael. <laughs> and um, like Mike, Mike Toby's giving his talking head and Michael like starts banging on the window of the conference. He's like, look, I'm going to need that room at some point today. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's good. Um, so Michael decides to give himself his own wilderness retreat. Um, he hypothetically asked Jim. Right. Jim says, totally, let's do it. 
then he literally asked Jim. And right. Jim's like, can't do it. I'm busy. I got a thing. <laughs> I'm donating blood. Right. How much blood can you give? Uh, you only have so much. Um, what I do find it funny about this is there's a couple times this season happens in money. It happens here where he always, they always manage to get out of doing stuff with Michael. That's right. And then they can't. This is, yeah, the dinner. <laughs> it does it. Um, so he eventually goes, Dwight, uh, it goes off to assist him in kind of setting up the whole scenario, mm-hmm. leaving Jim in charge. Right. Um, Jim has a big problem on his hands, though, Jacob. It's birthday month. It's birthday month. Um, it's Creed's birthday that day uh, with Meredith's changed now changed birthday <laughs> to like later on, like I think uh, the next week after. And, and then, Kelly's at the end of the month. That's right. Um, and I mean, I'm just going to assume that in this show, no one has solid birthday time periods, you know? I would assume that is probably true. Because <laughs> we'll recall in season one when they decide to give Meredith a surprise party that no birthdays are around her time. It's why they pick her and it's why it's like so early out. Um, right. Because otherwise we would have had Creed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, so Jim says, you know what? Let's just have them all together. Right, which seems really like, yeah, it seems like an okay idea. I don't understand why it's a point of contention with everybody and why it falls apart so bad. Um, I was asked this question by my girlfriend while we were watching the episode, and the best I could come to was Kevin's explanation in the break room. But essentially, you know, they work hard. So the fact that there are four birthdays in a single month is not bad to them because that's opportunity for them not to be working, you know? Right. Take 40 minutes, eat some cake, kind of shoot the shit. So I guess that's what it is. But it, yeah, this, it was a lot of people disliked what was happening. Right. Just to back up a little bit, this is also where we see Dwight's like arsenal around the office. But yeah. he is, he's got the, uh, the stuff behind the water cooler. He's got Mr. A knife in the personnel <laughs> files. Is that this episode? Yeah. I gotcha. He's yeah. got the, the blow, the, the blow darts in the toilet. Yeah. The the sword in the ceiling. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he, he is hooked up to the nines. I thought they took away a lot of his weapons after the, um, the Roy thing, though. Yeah, I thought so, too, but I guess he replaced them. Replaced them, replenished, right? <laughs> like, all right, change it out. Can't keep a crossbow under the couch. I'll move it somewhere else. That's fine. Um. So, right, so Dwight has his big old knife, gives Michael a roll of duct tape, and the camera and tripod, which we presume is the same setup that he uses for all of his apology videos. I would assume so, yes. (laughs) Um, This is another one of those, like, instances where we realize Dwight has given way too much thought to things, where he's he's taking Michael out, he's, he's like, it's like, in this scenario, you know, he's explaining, like, how Survivor Man works. Back when him and Jan had cable or satellite. Right. Uh, and a working, oh yeah, they still have a working TV. I'm getting ahead of myself. Right. right. So, uh, but that he's escaping from a serial killer and Dwight's like, you know, I, I would cut off your fingertips, remove your teeth, and they would call me the overkill killer. And I'm like, man, Dwight, this is one of those times where you need to stop talking. That's right. <laughs> um, he does 
bash Michael in the head with his shoe, though. <laughs> Trying to knock him out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you got you kind of got to figure that wherever Dwight is taking him, Dwight's been before. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this was maybe even on, you know, Dwight Schrute Farms property. Maybe. Yeah, I could see that. You know, like some like weird back end of it, like the the further out acres or something. <laughs> Maybe where he uh, there's hemp plant out there that the kids are always getting. <laughs> so so he he tell like he he's doing his whole grandstanding thing where he's like making a big deal that he's leaving, and he tells Jan that he's taking not Jan, Pam. That he's taking a personal day the next day and maybe one the day after that. But what does he what like does he tell Jan? Anything like is he like, hey Jan, I'm doing this, or not? Oh, yeah, no, probably not. Like, does she even I, care that he's not coming home for a couple of days? I feel like she wouldn't care. Is how <laughs> is how I feel about that. <laughs> so one thing I did note down is that at least according to the clock in the camera, is he starts recording at two o two p.m. That's right. So. And then his last recording, when Dwight tackles him, is at 4.30. So he spends about two and a half hours out there. That's right. Which also makes sense because, obviously, he ends up back at the office before the day is over. Right. Um, I mean, it's funny, too, to listen to his his own phrasing of the time as he does it because he has a watch, right? Right. But when, it, when it's two, he says uh, the sun is in the easterly <laughs> <laughs> two-thirds quadrant. And he walks down his watch. <laughs> yeah. It's about two o'clock. <laughs> And then later on when he uh, is making his spear, he says it's been like two or three hours. Only been two, but I'll give it to him. You know, well, since fair. he ate. Well, since he ate. That's fair. But like you said, the camera – well, the camera says it's four at that time. And right. Only half an hour later does he give up on hunting and eat the possibly poisonous mushrooms. <laughs> right. But that's something we don't uh, – yeah, we, we don't know exactly when he ate. So it could have been maybe four hours, but still. Yeah. Um. So, so he's out there. I mean, I think my favorite bit about him being out there, aside from removing articles of clothing, cutting them up, and then taping them back together, <laughs> because it's it gets cold within the two hours. He turned his pants into shorts, and then those shorts into a tent, and then back into pants. Um, is when Dwight is watching him with his rifle, right? <laughs> No, the safety is click on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, what's also great, too, is that, like, Dwight had that rifle, like, in the car, right? Oh. Are you they surprised? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. But you're, I shouldn't. That's the point. Um, also, I guess I just want to briefly touch about some of the things that um, Michael announces when he thinks he's alone. <laughs> um, Jan has plastic boobs. <laughs> yes. Uh, he wished he went on the trip with Ryan, mm-hmm. and he has hemorrhoids. <laughs> All great things to shout out in the middle of the forest, I guess, if they're weighing on your soul, like they were for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely not this kind of stuff I would shout out if I was looking for a cathartic moment. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, boy. And meanwhile, back at the office, Jim's trying to, like, get this whole thing going on. And Phyllis calls Jim Michael. And Jim takes Michael's office and gets mad at Toby. And it's just, it's just, everything just kind of sends into anarchy. And Michael comes back and Jim is so happy. He's like, yeah, I tried to do this. He's like, oh, yeah, I tried to do that, too. You know, give it another 10 years. You'll have it wired. <laughs> you know, that right. kind of stuff. They have a really good little that's what she said moment. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that, that last little bit is a nice moment for Jim and Michael where, you know, they're kind of joking and Michael, or not Michael, Jim has a new appreciation for what Michael does. Right. It is harder than he thought it was to be Michael. I still got to say that this is probably still only a fraction of what Michael is responsible for, let alone what he actually does, because I still don't think he does a lot. But this is like supposed to be like the easy, not not a big thing in Michael's book that he does is like the helping of throwing these parties or whatever. Right. Um, and the fact that, yeah, it becomes such a, a big issue, I think, is shows that this office's priorities are not in the best place. <laughs> Yeah, you get enough people together, things go things go aside. That's right. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, I'll throw it back to you. What do you think? What do you, what would you give this episode? Uh, I gave this a two point nine seven five out of five. Uh, Mister A Knives, because that wow. seems like a really cool dude. I would like to meet Mister A Knife. I feel like I wouldn't. <laughs> he seems like the kind of guy that hangs out in a dark alleyway. <laughs> Um, I gave it a 3.2 out of 5 uh, pants tents. <laughs> Take, make, make of that what you will. <laughs> All right. Well, our last episode of the day is The Deposition, written by Lester Lewis and directed by Julian Fer- Ferino. I'm guessing Ferino. Yeah, Ferino looks right. Uh and so this is where Michael is going to corporate to be deposed, and so is Jan, for her wrongful termination lawsuit against Dunder Mifflin. That's it. And then the, the side story is Dwight playing Daryl in ping pong, which is pretty funny. Also important. <laughs> so some, something I know, so, so this episode has this cold open where uh, – Pam keeps bringing Michael like uh, post-it notes that don't really have anything because he likes to feel important. Right. So like it, he's like, oh, tell him I'll call him back or whatever during meetings. What's funny though is when Ryan is in and like she does it with him. Right. Uh, it's a hot dog. This is hiya, buddy. Mm-hmm. So when he, Pam puts him through, quote unquote. That's what he says to the non-existent person on the phone. He's like, hiya, buddy. <laughs> How's it That's going? Right. <laughs> um, well, I think I might have mentioned it when it happened, too. But um, when Michael is trying to break up with Jan over the phone during, I think it's Women's Appreciation, uh, and Jan walks into his office, he switches, obviously, from breaking up with her to pretending he's talking to someone. And he also goes... Okay, buddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I just think it's funny that buddy is the, the nickname used in both Jane instances there. Right. Uh, so we see, like, they're driving to New York, and it's very obvious that they, or at least Jan, has been coaching Michael 
for answers to this deposition. That's right. And I'm pretty sure that's illegal. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty positive that's illegal. And the fact that she would like let any of that be recorded at all, that there's any slight proof that that was happening. But as Jan says, the truth is very complicated. And so we've gone over it a few times. You're right. <laughs> and so once they, once they get there, like Ryan starts talking to Michael and I don't know why Jan's lawyer let him talk to Ryan. Like uh-huh. any good lawyer would have been like, no, no, can't do it. Shouldn't do that, et cetera, et cetera. Even though I don't think it really had a lot of bearing on Michael, it just seems like a bad thing to do. Right. It's, uh, yeah, definitely a no-no. I mean, I got to imagine there's a lot of things. I don't know how uh, how the legal process would have viewed upon some of these choices that were made. But, um you know, the the discovery of like, usually I think, and I know this is more of like a, what well, is a deposition? Um, like the revelation of Michael's journal. Again, no law degree, but I felt like that would have been presented earlier as appropriate evidence that everybody has access to, you know? And obviously I get why it would be kept a secret from the, who has it? Well, the G- defense. It was. Yeah. Lawyer, well, right? yeah. No, no, Dunder Mifflin would have been a defendant here. Um, right. but yeah, it would have been basic discovery. Like, and like they bring it up, like it's, it's basic a, yeah. discovery. Uh, it would have been listed as a document, I believe. That's one right. reason why, like, Jane is so surprised that this photo, like the photo of her in Jamaica came out. One, how the hell are you surprised? Obviously, this is going to come up. And two, I feel like the lawyer should have known it was at least a possibility. Right. Well, I think it's also crazy, too, that the joke around that time was that that office was – that photo was spread across the company. Right. Right? He sent it to Daryl, who forwarded it to everybody at the very least within Scranton. But we also know Toby's wife got it somehow. Right. From three other people. <laughs> right. So I would have assumed at some point that um, people outside of the Scranton office – in Dunder Mifflin would have had access to it. And that very same episode, Jan shows up though, revealing that she wants to be in a relationship with Michael and she still didn't know about the photo. So this whole time, did she not know about it? Uh, she had to have, well, maybe not. I don't know. Cause the way she's surprised by it, I guess is what's, um, weird to me. All right. I mean, well, no, she knows about the photo cause she saw it on the, the, but did, I think they took it down before she walked in. No, no, it was it was uh, well because I think it was already Kevin was folding it up already. He maybe didn't say his thing about how he doesn't have a lot of art, but right, right, uh, yeah. I mean, it's still weird. Like, how do, I don't know how she doesn't know about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if it was just a, a a writing oversight. I guess you know. Yeah, I mean, because I mean. In terms of timeline, she was at Dunder Mifflin for another five months ish. Right, right. It had to have come up. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, so I mean, there's great bits during this deposition, right? Uh, right off the bat, Michael has a "that's what she said" joke. Right. <laughs> it throws the whole line of questioning way out the window. <laughs> they have to revert it. The lady wow. ruins the delivery of it. Yeah, she butchers the whole delivery. Uh, at some point, he tries to escape and use the restroom to not answer mm. questions <laughs> to the point where he actually needs to use the bathroom. He can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right. There's the revelation of the picture, the revelation of the contents of Michael's 
diary, as he calls it, which at this point we weren't privy to, right? So we, ne- the audience never knew what Michael was writing about these situations. Right. But, you know, we, and this is jumping a little forward, but I did find it hilarious where they talk, start talking about who's this other woman named Ryan. Ryan, yeah. Just, uh, just as hot as Jan, but cool or something like that. And just right. Toby starts cracking up. And it's one of my favorite Toby scenes because he's just like, he's the only one who knows what's going on. Right. <laughs> like, it seems like even Ryan doesn't even know what's going on. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I'm trying to think what other good bits were in that deposition scene. Well, I mean, so in terms of like plot stuff, like we found out a couple things, right? So everybody finds out when they first kissed. They find out when that relationship was official. And then Michael has this very nice moment where he one of those moments where Michael is like a functioning person and mm-hmm. like can like be honest about what's actually happening around him where he says, obviously Jan didn't see us as in a relationship. Right. It was me being delusional, yada, yada. And that obviously puts Jan in like a better place during mm-hmm. this argument. Right. Um, but it's not until later where, um, then Michael says another thing that we'll get to that, like, Another good Michael moment, I guess, when he's like kind of put in the situation where it's too real. It's it's too real for him to be able to deal with on a normal day. So he does really well, I think, in these scenes. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, it was really good. And like he understands the gravity of the whole. At least he seems at some point he understands what the gravity of the whole situation is like. Look, I know this really like destroys her case or something. But this, and then she brings out the journal, and right, right. Yeah. Um, there's a really great bit between Michael and Toby during lunch, where um, you know Toby is trying to acknowledge Michael's dilemma of being split between these two things he likes, mm-hmm. obviously Jan, and obviously the company. Right. And um, Michael's sitting there and he's listening, and it seems like they might have a moment. Um, little do. Little does anybody know, really, that Michael is slowly pushing Toby's lunch tray off of the table. Right, and he just, like, pushes it off. Like, I feel yeah. bad for Toby there. Like, like I am Jew. I'm like, man, my most common note ever is, like, just poor Tobes. <laughs> it's, like, it's an accurate thing to say, yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel like I feel like Toby got a little bit of revenge getting to go through Michael's journal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got to say, though, the show because there's so much more show after this episode. Um, Toby gets really weird, right? Yeah. Toby hasn't yet gone to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole thing happens. Again, in my weird placements of watching, there's this weird bit where Toby thinks he's in a relationship with Nelly, who we haven't met yet. Right. That's super awkward. Um, yeah, just a lot of things happen that may, might make you feel like maybe Toby is kind of a terrible person. <laughs> and then of course, I mean, I, well, I don't know if you know, but there, there is this whole online theory that Toby is, or was the Scranton strangler the whole time. Well, I mean, that kind of gets debunked when you go to the prison and get strangled. <laughs> you know? uh, that's true. That's true. Um, but what if it is a, an innocent man sent to prison realizing that, uh, you know, Toby is the strangler playing with his life and decides to ironically take him out, you know, the way he took out his victims. Maybe, <laughs> I, but I doubt it. I, it's, 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 it's flimsy for sure. But, uh, 
I'm just saying I could see Toby being a, a son of a gun. <laughs> so we, we flash back to uh, Scranton where Jim and Daryl are playing ping pong down the warehouse. That's right. And for some reason, Kelly decides to just like talk, start talking smack, not trash because it's happening right here. That's right. <laughs> but my, my question, like my thought was like, why did Kelly decide to pick this fight with Pam? Like, is it just something like she would have done period or what? Because, you know, she, her and Pam seem to have been friends, you know, before this. And now she's all like up in her grill about how bad Jim is at ping pong. Right. Um, well, I think part of it is like Kelly's mean girl this, right? Like not only, you know, obviously Kelly believes that she is the cutest person in the office, right? Right. And I think also, too, that has to go to her relationship with Daryl. Mm-hmm. And I think she probably feels the threat of the Jim-Pam combo as being the office sweethearts. So I think this is her way of kind of knocking them down a peg, being like something about chicken arms or whatever. I forget, <laughs> I forget some of the insults <laughs> she gets. <them. laughs> you need steroids just to watch baseball. That's right. Yeah. So we have, we have Jim playing his way through different people in the office, and you we come to Dwight, where we, we figure out that like his heroes are all table tennis stars, you know, young young Chow and some Russian name, of course, of course, you know, something Helming or something like. All types of very foreign names. Obviously, no Americans are winning uh, table tennis. Right. Right. <laughs> but and then like Pam comes in and he's like should I schedule the rematch with Daryl and like no you idiot Daryl works here <laughs> yeah it's pretty good yeah and and then like Pam is, get, just gets tired of Kelly's shit he's like alright let's go you and me right now right uh, and they're terrible yeah they, they, they never get through peeing or pong and like however they're doing it well, and I assume, too, that's not an actual thing that happens. That sounds very much like what I probably did in high school when we were assigned to ping pong during gym class, which is a weird thing to be assigned for gym class. Um, I'm sure there's a much better official way to decide who <laughs> serves first. Uh, right? I mean, I've done I've done that before where you like you have to do it like, you know, P.I.N.G. That after that, it's whoever whoever scores the point gets the first serve. I've done that many a time. But not on like on a professional level, I guess. Is the point. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a coin flip on the professional level. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And so, flashing back to the deposition, we get this like weird thing where you know Michael is really upset with Jan, and so because of Jan's like really terrible review, trying to get him put back to sales, and then she gets. Wallace's deposition read and like Michael's just sitting there like everyone fucking hates me, you right. know, and you like, you just feel really bad for the dude. And so like the, the lawyer asks him like, you know, wouldn't you say they, they show disrespect and all he has to do is say yes. And he's a millionaire. Right. And for some reason he says no. <laughs> and I don't know why. Uh, well, well, it's like what he says, and I don't think it comes from a place that isn't real, but he says that thing about how you expect to get screwed over by your company. You right. never expect your girlfriend to screw you. Right. And I guess in a way that, like, 
I think he was really offended by the exposure of his journal. Yeah. You know, it was, it was kind of personal. And I think really it was uh, because he his role in the deposition was against Dunder Mifflin, right? Right. Which was like a risky place to be as an active employee. But he didn't think that through, and that's fine. Um, well, he did what Jan told him to do. You know? well, that's right, yeah. And, and that's what it is. I think as like the deposition went out and he's hearing the different pieces of information or whatever, he's like able to kind of realize who has been better to him. Right. And I think ultimately uh-huh. he realizes that Jan is kind of still being not great. Right, right. Yeah. But right, he could have won $4 million with his girlfriend if he <laughs> said the other word. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so there's this nice little scene where, and I I don't know if it's like more of Michael's like disassociation, but it's like, you know, hey, David, I think you're a nice guy too. Right. And, you know, I think Wallace at that point is like, you know what, Michael, you're not a bad dude. You're weird, but you're not bad. Yeah, well, I think too, I think David is a good enough executive figure to like realize the the good in michael's personality over the odd business choices he makes you know right yeah i, I could see that yeah but um yeah, yeah i mean it's it's an interesting moment and obviously i think it really kind of i don't know it just kind of gives us a different perspective on everybody's relationship in that room you know mm-hmm. how michael feels about dr mifflin and how jan and michael kind of move forward because after this, like, Jan and Michael kind of don't work out anymore. Well, yeah, they only have one more episode as a couple because That's right. the next episode is Dinner Party, which yeah. I know you're going to love so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is a good episode. I really enjoy this episode because um, it, it hits the highs and the lows and gets really into Michael and Jan and, like, just how manipulative and weird she is right right all right so well uh and at the end of the episode you see dwight and moe's playing ping pong hardcore hardcore Hardcore. yep (laughs) part of me wonders if like you know rain wilson is actually a good ping pong player yeah i think so i think um (laughs) i think uh it's pretty clear that they are just swinging stuff in time and there is a cgi ping pong ball going between them because <laughs> uh, that that's insane <laughs> well yeah that'd be an interesting cast call needed two ping pong players yeah, <laughs> of yeah. a certain level oh <laughs> uh, man i mean again another odd um love of dwight's to add to the list of things that you just can't quite figure out <laughs> Like, he seems like Leslie No. He just doesn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that could be it, too. He just keeps going. <laughs> so what are you going to give this episode? Uh, I gave this one a 3.4 out of 5 bathroom breaks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which obviously leaves one bathroom break that wasn't totally finished. but that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I gave this uh, 4 out of 5, sort of breaking my trend. Uh, volleys for serve. Nice. <laughs> Uh, so, if y'all out there in podcasting and want to get a hold of us, you can email us at brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. I am at Jacob Ingalls on Twitter. Uh, there's a broke 
at Broken Jars Pod on Twitter. If you want to follow the network on Twitter, Broken Jars at XYZ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Remember to uh, check out our Patreon page, mm-hmm. uh, brokenjars.com slash broken jar, uh, patreon.com slash broken jars. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I should have pulled it up, but it's got some fun. Uh, the two tiers are pretty fun, so check them out. Um, well, you know, as we move forward and as we kind of test the waters with that, I'm sure we'll add more and we'll, we'll kind of open the floodgates to see how we can kind of be more interactive with everybody who listens. But, um, it's an exciting time for the broken, broken jars folks. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> we are officially a year old. So yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, hope whenever you're listening, it's good. Good morning, evening. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So y'all have a good one. That was a bit of a Truman Show thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Such a good movie. That's great. (laughs) Uh, Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye.